Facebook is now 20 years old, and in the world of technology, that seems like ancient history. OpenAI and the generative AI revolution feels like it's the next big thing, but this has us wondering where innovation in the 2020s will come from. Next up on Today in Tech, we're going to discuss where future breakthroughs will happen. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Joining me on today's show is Chris Shaw. He is the CMO for NTT Research. Welcome to the show, Chris. And we are not related as far as we know, correct? As far as we know. Yes. yes. Good to be here. Thank you. Keith. Uh, so uh, before we start <coughs> jumping, uh, tell me a little bit about what NTT Research does, uh, what you guys, what, you know, what you do specifically, and um, a little bit about the history of, of the company, because it's, it's part of a bigger organization, correct? Yes. So NTT Research is a fundamental research lab uh, in Sunnyvale, California. We launched about five years ago, and it's the basic research arm of uh, NTT Group, NTT Corporation of uh, Japan, a large multinational IT services company that has, you know, Originally, way back when, you would call them a telecom. Yeah. I think it's kind of hard to call anyone a telecom anymore. I, I remember right? they were, were, were they part of NTT Docomo at one point? That was one of the big How cell phone. Kind of the other way. Yeah. Sort of, there's NTT and then Docomo is actually part of NTT. Okay. So it's it's uh, similar to something like AT&T, you know, back in the day. It's the Japanese, it was the Japanese, you know, telephone company. So in the same way that where AT&T used to be. So but you know, with the advent of just you know the internet technology, it's an IT services, primarily IT services, data centers. Um, so much different than I would never refer to us as a telecom. It seems strange to me, but okay, you know, in the days of landlines, yes, but not anymore. So if if you guys you said five years ago that it was formed, five years ago NTT yeah. Research in in the U.S. was formed. Right, we have. Uh, laboratories in Japan okay. that have been around for years. Yeah. Okay. And what was the feeling of why they wanted to to develop this? Uh, I guess this U.S. branch or this U.S. version. You know, we're a, so we're even though we're you know Japanese based, we're a global corporation, mm -hmm. and we have quite a bit of of companies outside of Japan. We have NTT Data Inc., which is primarily all of the work outside of Japan in IT services. And so with with that, it was establishing. Uh, you know, a research sort of beachhead here in the States and in Silicon Valley, it made sense. We have, you know, 2,500 plus researchers in Japan, four to five very large laboratories around the country, you know, the equivalent of almost like a university. And so, you know, we having something over here uh, just made a lot of sense. Okay. And, and, do you, and I think before the show we were talking, you compared it to the old days of Bell Labs in the AT&T telecom world. Um, for, those of, for those of you old enough to remember Bell Labs, that was a lot of the innovations that you see today around the internet and telecommunications and communication came out of Bell Labs research. So is it a similar kind of goal and mindset and strategy that you're developing research that not necessarily will become commercialized or there's not a commercialized end goal uh, it's, is it more just about the research and finding where technology can go? So I would I would change that a little bit. Yeah. There's definitely a commercialized end goal, but maybe not specific to a certain thing. So for example, Bell Labs they developed the transistor, right? Which what which became the semiconductor we know today. Mm -hmm. Now they knew that that would go. You'd go from tubes to semiconductor or to you know to a transistor. They could see where it was going to take the company. But they didn't necessarily know when that would happen. 
and that it would, you know, what it was going to, you know, we get the internet, all of those things came out of that, you know, massive computational power. Right. So in the same sense, the work that we're doing, it's fundamental research that's trying to understand how things work. So, you know, if you want to talk about the, the fundamental research around physics or cryptography, those are some of the areas we're working in. Um, we have a strong focus in photonics, so light-based computation, you know, and that, and so there is a goal to get to, you know, photonic-based computing. Right. But to get there, there's a lot of things that will happen and that we'll learn along the way and that could, in fact, create new technologies but we don't even know about. Okay. Now, is this similar to what you might find at academic institutions where... Very. Okay, so it does have a very... I don't say... I don't like the word collegial, but I guess I'll use it. Does it have a uh, an academic feel to it? You know, <laughs> it's different from the sort of pure academic research, but the, what is similar is you have researchers who are uh, doing work and writing papers, and as opposed to... It's different than applied research. So take something like... You know, like a company, let's use Procter and Gamble, for example, right? Mm -hmm. They have a, an R&D arm that's been around for 100 years, and it is focused on applied research around the products that they make. You know, great innovations around soap, which we need, right? Sure. And, and, and it is technology, and they have, yeah. <laughs> no, but no, that's again, a, that was one of my questions later, so go ahead. Yeah, keep going. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just giving that as an example because theirs are very, you know, they're focused in those areas. Similarly, our research is still focused around technology and communications, right? I mean, we do, much of our company is, is infrastructure, right? Data centers, you know, uh, undersea cables, all of those things. So it certainly is advancing all of that. If you think about, I'm going to sort of go down a path here a little bit, but think about just, you know, um, wireless communication, you know, 1G, 2G, or sort of 2G, you know, 3G, LTE, you know, now we're talking 5G, 6G, yeah. all yeah, of yeah. those things. Those are just new evolutions of, in some ways, you know, the same goal, but completely different technologies. Right. So right. I, that's how I kind of look at what we do. If, if you look back at the last uh, 10 to 20 years, uh, just within the time frame, you know, let's talk about from 2000 on uh, to the present day. Do you feel like technology innovation has been getting better or worse? Is it still on the same path? Do you see innovation coming from different pockets? And again, we could talk about the social media stuff. It felt like the last 20 years to me has always been about um, startups in Silicon Valley and getting a lot of money and then hyping it up and getting coming out with that minimally viable product and then and then taking it off and, and becoming billionaires. Whereas maybe before 2000s, it was it was it was a different mindset and a feel. Do you feel like we're still in that era or because of what you saw with open AI that we might be entering a new era of, of innovation? I think we're entering a new era. Okay. I think that I do. I think that, you know, the era of the, of the large industrial labs like Bell Labs, I think sort of faded away, you know, in the late, late seventies, eighties, as they broke up AT&T mm -hmm. that shifted, you started to see, you know, then with the advent of the internet and the, and on quite a bit happening in, you know, in home computing, you know, Microsoft, Apple, all of that. And then really the big push in Silicon Valley for, you know, the the sort of the startups that we saw post.com, right? Not, I wouldn't, the dot-com, that I think was really more of an anomaly because it was jumping into what was new. But I think what we saw after that was, was much different. The social media, web 2.0, all those things. I think the difference, and I think OpenAI, and what Google is doing, I think the whole AI revolution is a new era. 
And for a couple of reasons, I think the way that OpenAI was built when they started that it was primarily they didn't have a they didn't have a path to to revenue or product right they were it was scientists learning about how can we do this right yeah. i mean it was a not it was a it was a not for profit now they have two arms but they really it took them years to really say what are we actually you know gonna how are we gonna make revenue on this thing right now they're charging what nineteen bucks a month or something like that. I just got into you know? the yeah, I just got in and got my subscription, so I'm part of the um, the crew that's paying them now. <laughs> yeah. So, but they didn't know. So, I, yeah. and I think what's fascinating about AI, and we're just at the beginning, but I think it's going to unlock quite a bit. I think we're going to see, um, you know, new technologies that people are going to build on it and advance that I think will be positive advances. As long as they stay, if, if we can stay away from advertising model, I think we're okay. <laughs> right. If, if you, um, if you, if you then believe that, do where are there pockets of, uh, companies or groups or organizations where this might come from? Again, will it come from a lab and research development like what you have, or is it going to come from academics? Above. Is it going to come from corporate? It's, I think it's truly all of the above, and I know that sounds like a cop out. It does, but I know. But I'll tell you, I'll tell, I'll tell you why. I okay. Mean, I think that because it's it's so broad and open for people to try things. That I think in 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 many ways, with what we saw was sort of Web 2.0, right? Where we start, people just started experimenting and building things, um, and I think we'll see some of that. I. Th- it's there will be the, the labs that are like what we're doing and there's there's technology that we're developing that will use AI. There are some of our groups that are developing like a biodigital twin, for example. Right. That I think will ultimately AI will be a part of it. Now, two years ago, it wasn't necessarily part of the equation, but it's here. So how can it not be this idea of making things that were scarce um, available to people like like certain medical care? I think that AI will play a huge role in that. But then you're going to have, you know, students who are playing around and they have access to it. You know, you just said you signed up, right? Right. I'm I'm signed up to it. I can start to play around and get some ideas and maybe come up with some new technology using it that, you know, will that I don't know if that's going to be a breakthrough or not, but it's so I that's why I think it's going to go across the board. Yeah, what I, what what impressed me about the the OpenAI subscription once you know when I got in was not just that I got in, but more wow, there's a lot of apps that have already been developed from other third parties and they're highly specific. So there was one app that could make a a Pixar like cartoon of my face. And then there was another one that was like, "Hey, te- design, you know, we'll design a logo for you if you just describe in your brain what you want and then you can tweak it from there. Um, there's all sorts of writing ones and, 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 you know, organization ones and athletic training programs, for example, if you want a better workout. So there are, there's lots of things that the third parties, not just, I mean, we've, we've written articles on this and, and, you know, you've seen a lot of articles about all the things you could do with chat GPT, but to see them in an app form was, was pretty impressive. So um, again, maybe, maybe some new companies will be developed out of that or some new directions will, will happen from there. I think that's kind of a cool thing. Absolutely. I mean, it's like the app store, right? When, yeah. you know, when, when it kind of took off and, you know, some things will work, some things won't. You might have 20 apps doing what you were just describing. Sure. And I think that's okay. I think you want the competition. You don't have to have, you know, a winner take all situation. Yeah. But it definitely opens up a lot. It's exciting. Do you have a good, do you have a good pipeline with the academic community uh, for whatever areas of research you're doing? We do. Because, uh, um, 
when I was covering robotics a few years ago, I, I spoke with uh, a professor of, of robotics at Carnegie Mellon University. And one of the big things that he was seeing was that all of his students that were coming out through the either the, the master's degree program or the PhD program, um, in the olden days, <laughs> it could have been like 10 years ago, but in the old days, they would stick around and continue their fundamental research. Um, and the, the university would support them. But then he saw that within the last 10 to 15 years, a lot of these people just wanted to jump into that that commercialization business route. Um, do you still is that still a problem where you have a lot of people that have great ideas and they're like, I just want to cash in and make a lot of money off of this to see if I can become the next Mark Zuckerberg or the next, you know, name your your tech guru. Yeah, I think I don't I mean, I wouldn't say it's a, it's a problem, but I think it's definitely true that there are, you know, those that want to leave. I mean, we certainly bring in, you know, PhDs and they come into our company, but because we're fundamental and we have a lot of, you know, open lab agreements with, you know, instead we've got Harvard and MIT and Stanford to name a few that we're working with. Yeah. And we have, so it's a little different for us, but it's still, they're leaving and it's still, it's still, it's not academic, right? It's, it's, you're working for an industrial lab. And then you get the, the, the people who leave to go to a startup because they wrote a paper that's a new invention based on that paper and someone wants to fund it. You kind of can't blame them, right? I mean, to give it a shot. I um, suppose if someone's holding a big giant bag of money with a dollar sign on it, you want to, you have to at least take the offer or at least consider it. Yeah, there was there was a time back. I mean, this goes way back, but I went to I went to Cal back in the eighties, and our arch rival was Stanford. And I remember one of the football players left early, and I don't remember who it was, but to go (laughs) play in the NFL. And the comment he said was, I went to school to get a good job. This is a good job. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think some of these guys that happens, look, you get an offer and you're going to, you're going to try to do, you get support. We have people who are going back, they'll come in to us and then they'll, they'll go back and they'll, they get actually tenure track positions at universities. So I think it's going to be sort of this virtuous cycle. Okay. I would hope. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Um, and, and you mentioned the, the whole soap example with Procter and Gamble, for example, and I don't mean to pick on them just because they, yeah. they just came to mind. I'm trying to think of a company that's not necessarily tech focused, but still having R and D, uh, departments. Do you still see that, uh, with a lot of corporate companies or is, is the R and D group kind of going away in the, in the corporate world? I think it's, it still exists in the applied sense. There's going to, there's always going to be that, but you think about more new product development, you know, Procter's a unique company. They've had R and D forever. Sure. They have a, they spend a lot, they spend, I think around 2 billion on, on R and D. So it's, it's a lot of money, but I think everywhere you have to have some type of, you know, We'll call it new product development, which is what R and D is, mm-hmm. to the extent of it being like, you know, a large expenditure. I don't think it's that way anymore. Other than some very large companies, you know, the auto manufacturers, things like that, you're going to see it. Um, it you have to have it, but the basic research and the kind of things we that we're doing and the old Bell Labs did, that's pretty rare. That's going to be university, government. Mm-hmm. And then kind of us and some smaller places. That's true. Yeah. You mentioned, you mentioned government. I don't think we've mentioned that yet, that, that they provide a lot of funding for a lot of these types of, of programs. And, um, I'm wondering, is, is that, is that something that gets frowned upon in the, in the space or, or they're like, Oh no, we, we really need government funding. I mean, I guess if it's the defense, <laughs> the, the defense department, probably there's some, there's some issues probably around, you know, 
It's interesting because, I mean, so many of the great innovations that have come out have, are the direct result of government funding, right? And DARPA, which is defense. Originally, right. it was not defense, but they put that in there. So the internet was a result of that, right? Originally, ARPANET, mm-hmm. and then it's and then DARPA takes over. You know, uh, a lot of the the things that happened in terms of the moon launch. GPS, all those things, and that's government funded. Yeah, even even the robotics. Chal- yeah, the robotics challenges in the in the mid two thousands were all DARPA funded uh, yeah. for self driving cars and some of the the robotics autonomy stuff that you're seeing now. And remember that you know when you think of the Defense Department, people will jump to the say you know we're fun- we're we're working with the Defense Department. A lot of that is things like the VA, right? You know, or okay. you know those types of things. I mean, it's not the the. The, the Defense Department and the government is not all about, okay, we're looking at how to make some kind of new weapons or something. I, mean, right. I think that's where people go. But a lot of it is it's a fair amount of healthcare and other technologies that then come into our world because they can do things and create new products or test new things in a way that that can't be done in the private sector. Right. Right. Yeah. Isn't, isn't that one of the, you would see stories and articles around all of the innovations that were developed for NASA to get people to the moon uh, would then, you know, once they got back from the moon, they were like, well, we can use this on earth. And, you know, what was it? (laughs) Not, you know, it's like the Plantronics, the company that did uh, a lot of those Bluetooth headsets. I mean, they, they, they were born out of the, of the space race. And then the, uh, there's another, what's the material? It's a Teflon. No, not Teflon. Yeah. Um, I think Teflon might be, I don't uh, know. What is it? Oh, Velcro. Velcro. Yeah. And Pyrex, uh, my, my director's telling me like, yeah, <laughs> the Tempur-Pedic mattress, I guess, was developed. Memory foam. These, all these things were developed from the space program. So again, it's it's that that's maybe maybe I I have a, an issue maybe with with government funding or or I've I've talked to people that have had the, those types of issues. Um, I think so. it depends. Again, it depends on what you know what the funding is going towards. And any company is going to know what kind of money they're taking and what it's for. Yeah. Right? So it's not like there's a government contract and you're working on something that you don't don't know potentially where that's going so and i think like anything with any innovation it's all or anything creative which is what innovation is there's something that's going to be derivative of what you've learned in the past right right? so to have government small entrepreneurs coming up with new ideas large corporations you know open sourcing things is just gonna that's how creativity happens right and it happens in sort of the intersections so, so the so open source research is still is a very positive thing in in the space or do you do absolutely you, yeah it's so the I guess when when open source first was being discussed there was a lot of um, I don't want to say fear but there was a little cautious optimism I guess around it uh, so but there's none of that now it's it's very collaborative and very open I think there are there's both so I think yeah. there's there's it's is open and there are, you know there are definitely companies that do open source work you know some of our teams do but then you have other companies that are very closed ecosystems they don't want anyone in and that's fine I think you're going to have better innovation with open source right and people being, I, I would say like what's happened with with ChatGPT is great open source they're act, giving people access to build on it and you know that's where we're going to get something interesting if you're just trying to hoard i guess hoard money and close it keep it as a sort of closed system right right good for the shareholders of certain companies but is it really great for humanity sure sure 
Uh, okay, and and we talked a little bit about this idea of the minimally viable product before, and and it feels like that's where a lot of software development has gone, and a lot of a lot of apps. But you see this in hardware as well. Um, is is that a good thing or a bad thing when it comes to innovation? Because it feels like in the old days, if you were inventing something, you'd you'd want to have a product that worked and was really good, and you didn't have to iterate on this. Um, you know, versus I, I versus that, now, where it's like you get the you get that minimum, and then you're like, well, I know that three versions down, it'll be really good. I think that the I I have some issue with the idea of a minimum viable product because I think that sometimes it's not quite where it should be and it's clunky. Mm -hmm. But I think the concept of saying, let's get something out there and see if it works is not a bad idea. It's just that I think they give up too soon. And sometimes the reality is it's just going to take time. Things take time. And if you put something out there, the big search is what's the product market fit? Product market fit is just all about timing, right? It's just, you know, you build something and was Facebook the first social network? Not even close. Right. Everything happened at the right time for them. They kind of had a minimum viable product, I guess, but the, the stars aligned. So I think there's a logic to the minimum viable product, but I think that they it lends itself to giving up too soon. But it, right, especially in, in this media market that we now live in with social media, where it feels like everything has to be either an instant hit or an instant stink. Like it's, it's either one or the other. There's no room for three stars anymore. It's, it's either one or five. Um, right. Are you going to take over the market or are you going to be nothing? You know, right. are you just going to be like a lifestyle company for like, that's the term that I hate, you know, you <sighs> know maybe a hundred million dollar company that it's, that's, you know, supporting a quite a few people is considered a lifestyle company, but they want, <laughs> you know, dominance. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I just don't, I think if I was looking to invent something, I don't know if I would be in favor of this minimally viable product, because again, I would be fearful of this. Well, if I, as soon as I come out with this, people are going to be like, oh, this stinks. And, and then you'll never get a second look at it. Whereas if you wait and, and we see this in video games, for example, where if you wait and, and develop and, and, you know, just just bring it out, bring it out next year. But there's so much pressure from investors, too, I, I guess. That's yeah. where most of it, I think, comes from. And yeah. I think you have to ultimately you have to see will people pay for it. Right. Whatever you're making, is someone going to buy the thing? If you're selling, you know, you're, you make a new soda pop, is someone going to drink that? So that's your minimum viable. But it doesn't mean you, know, you could come out with something and just because they don't take the first sip, you can say, oh, maybe I need to make it more bubbly or whatever it right, is. Right, right. Right. And people just don't do that second step. That's the problem. Do you have a, so with the research that goes on at NTT, do you, do you have this, uh, do you have these procedures in place where you're looking at something and going, okay, we're at, this phase within within this research and and or is is the, does that yeah, not how we it do works? no yeah. no we do it's a it's a it's a little bit different but we do so we have for example a technology that was developed by the head of our cryptography lab that he he had this invention this concept in a paper back in 2005 mm-hmm. it just went to market like a year ago where it's a commercial product and it's in and it's in a couple of POCs, so proof of concept. You know, it's being used and it's being paid for. Right. So it that's a you know that's almost a twenty year, you know, time frame. That's almost never there. heard of these days, right? Well, in, I mean, I think it is really heard of because GPT. You could argue it's the same thing because they didn't come up with the idea of AI. They were off, they were four years before they had anything. Yeah. But but you go back to like history of this. You know, it's definitely it's a long time to get there. 
Okay. So I think, and what we, we do have that where we see something that, you know, okay, it's at a point we've proven this thing can work. We're building prototypes. Let's try and commercialize it. So we definitely do that. Okay. You know, is, is there a place for, uh, and I, and this almost want, this almost sounds, um, nostalgic or mythic with the, is there still a place in the world for two people in a garage? Um, you know, the, the whole Hewlett Packard guys, uh, the whole Steve Jobs and, and Steve Wozniak building Apple computer in a garage in Silicon Valley. Is that still, is that still a dream or is it now just something that's like the, the world of myths and legends in, in, in uh, you know, like, I, where, where do, where do the, the next big innovators come from in your, in your opinion? Um, yes, there's absolutely room. I can tell you. There are some guys working for us that came in. I mean, the, out of Stanford, one of them had an incredible, you know, idea around, a, a, you know, a, a new photonics device that they're working on now. And it's, it was, a, you know, a few people in the lab. Now we're supporting it in the same way that two people in a garage. I mean, you know, the Apple computer guys, yeah, they were, it's, they're in a garage. They also got funding. Yeah. You know, they didn't do it by themselves. Right. Right. They're not self-made. And so I think the same thing with Hewlett Packard. I mean, yes, the garage or wherever they built their first thing. The same thing with someone in a lab or in a home, like building or going on ChatGPT and creating an app. And then maybe someone says, "Oh, I want to. I see something. I want to fund it. We can build a company with right. it." So I, I don't see why it wouldn't continue to happen. But but the but what we have now are the resources out there for investors and. Uh, inno- uh, entrepreneurs are so much different than it was back in that day, right? Like, yes. if if you had a like again, like so, let's say say I'm Doc Brown and I've invented a time machine. Um, I wouldn't necessarily kind of build it in my garage and let, and let Marty drive it. Oh my God, we're just going down a really bad rabbit hole. Let's go there. But would but like he, he would drive it up to some angel investor firm on, on sand, what is it? Sand Creek road, Sand Hill road, Sand Hill road. Yeah. Like would he go the Silicon Valley route or would he take it to where you guys are? Or would he, you know, would he go down to Facebook and go, Hey, forget this metaverse stuff. I have a time machine now. Like wh- where would the future inventors Kind of, I'm seeing both, you know, yeah. I'm seeing, I'm seeing, you know, people who are building things and putting them out there themselves. And, 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 and then also the ones who are, you know, chasing the money, you know, obviously there's a huge ecosystem of, of investors in the Silicon Valley. And, you know, but I think there's a lot of play to win there, like win it all, be the dominant force, as I was saying. And I think maybe you're getting a few people who are building things that maybe they think can work without the massive investment. Yeah. But so, yeah, I mean, you, you still have both. It's just, it's, it's a little more of an ecosystem now in terms of the investors that it used to be, you know, but it's still someone who came up with the idea, Yeah. you know, are you excited about the next 10 years in, in, in terms of what you're seeing? I am super excited. <laughs> are you optimistic or pessimistic? I'm, oh, it depends on which thing you're talking about. But most things, <laughs> I'm, I'm actually very excited. I mean, the, because of the world that I'm in and I'm, and the technology that I'm seeing develop just, just within NTT research, yeah. um, I'm, I'm very hopeful. And I also think it's interesting how things align. Like, as I said, we have a, you know, our big push is around optical computing. So the big, in NTT in Japan, there's this thing called ION, which is the Innovative Optical and Wireless Network. So it's a fully, you know, a different internet, an Mm -hmm. optical internet. And we've been pushing that. We obviously do AI, but then you have 
you know, suddenly the AI boom, well, is it going to be sustainable in electrical systems? I don't think so. I mean, the amount of compute that it's going to take. So that's going to push these things that may in fact then help something like climate change, right? Because if we go to all optical, that maybe it's 20, 30 years away to get there, but it's, it changes the energy use, the heat that comes off of it, everything about data data centers will change. And I think something like AI is going to force it because we need that compute power. We can't, you know, we do, we can't handle it with the current systems, but it's going to force it to happen faster. And we'll probably use AI to create some of the new technologies, right? It right. will help us learn faster. It'll help us get there. So I'm, to me, I am very optimistic. Okay. I was going to ask you if you had any other projects that you were excited about. It sounds like this photonic computing stuff. The is, photonic is, is a, that's yeah. huge. You without, know? Yeah. Without giving we, away any of your projects or Promise. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. I mean that that that's a big thing for us and I think and that's exciting for me because the idea of you know I like to call it like the internet of light, you know, going from an all electronics system to an all photonic system. Right now we have it obviously in the you know the fiber optics that's there, but we're talking switches, the com- computation, all of that ultimately getting there. We're a ways away. Mm-hmm. But as I said, maybe with some of the things we're developing and then some of the new AI technologies where I could have said we're 20 or 30 years away two years ago, maybe it's 10, 15, just because those things might just align. Right. When, when, you, know. looked at, when you looked at what OpenAI was doing and, and the amount of attention it got, but the amount of enthusiasm that, that, that it got from the general public, um, I mean, the media loves this, this stuff because, again, it's, it's just stories. It's, it's, it's topics. It's things to talk about, um, good and bad. Um, do you, were you surprised by either the, the speed of this or the amount of attention it got? Again, you were in the space. You, you were developing your, you know, a, lot of, a lot of AI stuff on your own. Like what, what was surprising? to you about what OpenAI has been able to do? I, you know, I would be lying if I said I wasn't surprised. Yeah. Because it, I think we all were in terms of how fast it happened. Uh-huh. You know, it's sort of that classic, you know, when did you grow broke, Mr. Hemingway? Very slowly, <laughs> then all of a sudden, right? So it was, it was here and then people started using it. And I think it was just the quick adoption, which was incredible. Yeah. Um, I think I, I would liken it and in a much better way, but how fast social media kind of grew, right? When Facebook went from the the university sort of platforms to opening to, you know, your grandmother's now on Facebook, that was pretty darn quick, that yeah. growth. And I think this is just a technology that is light years beyond something like, you know, sharing a social on a social network. And right, I think right. It, so I was surprised at... How quickly, but once it got going, you're like, okay, that makes sense. And and then you can see even it's still happening. For example, OpenAI just released their Sora video. Well, they announced it. They didn't release it. Yeah. Um, they announced their their Sora video text prompt generation t- type thing. And you looked at it and you went, wow, this, you know, it's because six months ago you're watching AI video and it's all like amorphous blobs and nightmare fuel type things. And now it's like, oh, this is, this is actually stuff, stuff that could be used at some point. Um, I'm hoping that they figure out the parts where people won't be able to do horrible things with it, but who knows if that's going to happen. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think with any technology, there's that, you know, there's both. I mean, you think about, you know, nuclear power, right? Yeah. Obviously, there's the, the there's the good and the bad. Yeah, I think I would hope that there will be. We've learned from social media of what we did wrong there. That maybe with 
you know, we can't count on necessarily the tech companies to say, yeah, we're going to do a good job. We've got to have some regulation <laughs> Just trust in us. There. Trust us. We'll trust get it right us. this time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Chris Shaw, thanks again for uh, for joining us on the show. Some great topics to talk about. Um, uh, we'd love to have you back. In fact, we're, we're thinking of having you as a guest co-host on one of our News Roundup shows. So um, you Sounds might not, wonderful. You haven't seen the last of you yet, right? Thanks, Keith. Good to see you. All right. Cousin thank, Keith. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. All right. That's all the time we have for today's episode. Be sure to like the video, subscribe to the channel, add any thoughts you have below. Join us every week for new episodes of Today in Tech. I'm Keith Shaw. Thanks for watching.